Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. Remember to check out the website. Posts should finally be coming up. And rate the show five stars and give it a follow if you haven't already. I'll always say it. You know what I'm gonna say. But it may not seem like a lot to you, but it means a lot to me. Oh, and donate if you so feel inclined. But last time, we watched the end of Liang Ji. The incredible story came to an end, but the terminal velocity of negative policy has been hit, and Emperor Huan was incapable of writing that ship. Now, if you've read ahead, you know that the Han Dynasty won't write that ship, and impact is coming soon. But let's just get right into it. So, without further ado, The History of China, Episode 60. Wow. Power to the people. We are entering into a phase where rebellions across the dynasty go from annoying to a problem and soon full-fledged catastrophic. These rebellions are not one sole rebellion, at least not yet, as some rebel in one region for their own grievances, while others far away for yet again their own reasons. We had a court drama the last couple episodes because that's what matters. But like texting your boss back as you rush to work in a car, your attention being one place means you inevitably lose track of the other things you should be paying attention to i.e. the road. No, I didn't get into a car crash, by the way. Yet, we have been myopically focused on this back and forth between emperors, empress dowager family members, and eunuchs because, well, that's what the powers that be were myopically focused on. Had they been super engaged in tax policy, yeah, we would have talked about it. So while they fight in their ivory towers or, more realistically, large imperial palaces in Luoyang, the 99.9% .9 of the rest of the dynasty and its populace has been sort of, well, neglected. Some policy is passed, but generally, the focus of the palace has been on the palace. And that's it. This creates, as you probably are well sick of hearing by now, a negative feedback loop. The negative issues are compounding. For every issue not solved, and every palace problem focused on instead, it just gets harder and harder and harder to fix these systemic problems. And as you know, they got worse. And that brings us up to a plot switch in the show. First, as I promised, I'll explain what the heck people were up in arms about in the first place. But second, I will start to stray away from the intimate palace intrigue and stick more to high-level facts in the palace because it'll all just start to get repetitive and frankly become numbing. We have hit terminal velocity and the Han has less time left than a normal human life expectancy. To tie the two together, the two being on one hand the palace, and on the other the people, 
we land, of course, at the Unix. And no, that is not a sentence I ever thought I would utter a few years ago. Jokes aside, though, we have already discussed how in short time, the Unix went from royal family aid positions, more or less, to rulers of estates and kingmakers in their own right. Without Unix, Emperor Huan never does get rid of Liangji. While one may expect Emperor Huan to be mildly embarrassed at the fact he couldn't, as emperor, claim or exercise the power he literally had bestowed on him by heaven without five eunuchs, ancient Han stigma and all, he simply was not. He was not embarrassed. And to keep up with the new trend of making eunuchs actual marquises and giving them estates, yeah, Emperor Huan does just that. He rewards those that helped him. Now, I won't dive too into the true fate of the core five eunuchs, which is way too in the weeds, but it is followed by the fact that the eunuchs under Emperor Huan were allowed to be unduly corrupt in their new commanderies. So there is now just a self-serving class of landowners, the eunuchs, on top of the already self-serving class of imperial elites. I'm sure the people won't mind this. Oh wait, what's that? Oh, they minded it. Bad harvests, corrupt local officials, and a New ruling elite of corrupt and self-serving eunuchs? What could go wrong? Good policy is often like good CGI. Most times, when it's really good, you don't notice. Did you know that all the mountains in Mad Max were CGI'd? Of course you didn't, because it was good. But when policy is bad, like bad CGI, oh man, you see it, and it potentially brings the whole experience down. However, to continue our bad analogy, a good movie, or in this case, a dynasty, with one or two bad policies, i.e. bad CGI scenes, is fine. It can be overlooked, it can be redeemed. The Han, though, at this point, was like the recent Green Lantern movie. Bad all around, and now with more bad policy, the ability to course correct or overlook it is diminished year after year and we're getting to a point where there's very little the Han can do to fix its very, very deep-rooted problems. I'm not patronizing, but a sturdy empire can handle a flood or a drought. People will still die in the initial carnage, but damage can be mitigated, and you can at the same time demonstrate to the people why heaven chose you to lead. Bad times are inevitable. But if you're in a solid position, you can deal with it. You can bounce back. That goodwill was gone. And people were struggling under the weight of bad policy. And to that, natural disasters. We will examine Emperor Huan's reign through the lens of the people now, or at least start to transition to that viewpoint and not in the super-minute court drama. Reason being, the court drama, while those in it didn't know it at the time, was a moot point. 
it really stops mattering right about now. To transition, Emperor Juan was given a bad hand. We know that. Having to contest with Liang Ji, having to deal with all the bad decisions of his predecessors. Yeah, it's not ideal, but he simply was no Emperor Gao. He wasn't some illustrious leader. He was really just utterly incapable of steadying the ship, let alone one with as many problems as the Eastern Han currently had. Whether he saw this as a bad policy, which it was, or because he simply got annoyed at certain eunuchs for personal reasons, Emperor Huan would strip several eunuchs of this newfound power, only for them to eventually not only get that power back, but actually get more than they had before they were stripped of it in the first place. Net positive for the eunuchs. That cycle would continue, each time seeing the eunuchs continuing to take more and more power. But it wasn't just the imperial palace or the farm workers on the estates that were not thrilled by this. Because in 166, students got involved. And before I continue, yes, students. I am painting the Han as a collapsing giant right now. But that does not mean it was still not one of, if not the most sophisticated civilizations around at the time, including Rome. The year is 166, and there is a spat between students and the government. That sounds like something that would happen in the 20th and 21st century, not the second. Regardless. The first disaster of partisan prohibition occurred in 166, when a young man was commanded by his fortune-teller father to commit a murder because the fortune-teller father predicted a pardon would come. Man, talk about twisting my arm. The governor of the capital region and a devout Confucian scholar obviously arrested the family for this absurd crime. You can't just murder somebody. Yet, to ratchet the story up more, the fortune teller was actually right, and a pardon was actually issued. We know this is completely absurd, us in the modern day, and the governor of the capital region also thought that, and he said, screw a pardon, and executed them anyway. Eunuchs get involved because they convinced the emperor that the governor was stoking anger amongst the students and fermenting them to have, let's just say, anti-government sentiments. The students were then arrested and interrogated. This, though, is where the eunuchs increase power does not equal sound policy. They have power doesn't mean they're wielding it well. In the interrogations, many of the eunuchs' own relatives got named by the students. So while they pushed for action initially, soon the eunuchs realized that any more action could actually hurt their own interests. The students were eventually released, but they were stripped of all their citizenship. Stripped of everything. The eunuch class made this mess, and then made it even more messy really messy. 
Now, for a quick tangent, at the same time, about the same year, something came to China. According to the Book of Han in 166, the Roman embassy came. Now, it either came from Antonius Pius or Marcus Aurelius, who was the king of Daqin, which as we know now is Rome, but the following entry was put in. The king of this state always wanted to enter into diplomatic relations with the Han, but Anxi, Parthia, wanted to trade with them in Han silk, so they put obstacles in their way so that they could never have direct relations with the Han dynasty. This continued until the ninth year of Yanxi period of Emperor Huan, which is 166, when An Dun, king of Daqin, sent an envoy from beyond the frontier of Runan, who offered elephant tusk, rhinoceros horn, and tortoise shell. It was only then that for the first time communication was established between the two states. That was from the Hohan Shu. Now, no one really knows if An Duan, the so-called king of Daqin, or as we know them as the Romans, was Emperor Antoninus Pius or Marcus Aurelius. Pius died in 161, and that meant Marcus Aurelius took over, and the envoy arrived in 166. These things can take a long time, so no one really knows. And what makes it more confusing is that us in the West know that this is the Antonine dynasty. These are the two Antonines. So we don't really know. Now, while they might have brought all these great things, we know trade doesn't really pick up. There's light trade, and Parthia, for their part, would do their dominant strategy and make sure they were always the middleman. But this is the first time, directly, that the Romans and the Han Dynasty had interacted. Trade between the Han, Parthia, and now Rome was being created to a point no one could have ever dreamed. Heck, a couple hundred years ago, they didn't know each other existed. In the meantime, think about what happens when people who have never interacted, interact in the ancient world. Trade may spread, goods may spread, knowledge may spread, religion may spread. But something much smaller and much deadlier also spreads. Hold that in your head. What could that be? It's illness. Meanwhile, agrarian revolts in Qing and elsewhere, though, continued to rage as monetary policy and harvests both seemed to falter at the same time. Emperor Huan, who had seen Roman emissaries, would die in 168, and therefore wouldn't live to fix anything in the Han. But he also didn't have to see the final nails in the coffin be drilled in to the Eastern Han. Abrupt, I know, sure, but the pieces, after months of telling you and countless episodes, were about all in place. The terminal issues were now due. Emperor Huan didn't have a successor, so the Empress Dowager and trusted officials conferred the dynasty to Emperor Ling, a 12-year-old prince, with the Empress Dowager and other officials acting as regents. 
The now Empress Dowager and the other regents and Emperor Ling knew a few wrongs had to be made right. They weren't stupid. In trying, though, to right these wrongs, the future of the Han seems less of a surprise, i.e. it's going to end soon. Immediately, Emperor Ling and the Empress Dowager, who, to clarify, was not his mother, gave those partisans from a story before their rights back and made them all officials. Sounds fine and dandy to me. But they were going to try and fix the root of the problem. Take the eunuchs down a few pegs by ridding the dynasty of some of the most powerful ones. I told you the eunuchs kept getting more and more powerful, and this is where it's finally gone too far. Emperor Ling and the regents had a solid plan to take the eunuchs down a couple pegs, but the eunuchs by now had ears everywhere, and soon found out about it before any action was taken. Before, they may have pleaded for leniency or used their political influence to peacefully change the emperor's mind. Nope. Not today. They went out and kidnapped the emperor and held him prisoner under the age-old guise of, quote-unquote, it's for your own protection. They then massacred the empress dowager's whole clan, which included one of the region officials, and they kidnapped the empress dowager and held her captive. Boom. Kidnapping an emperor? Killing the empress dowager's clan? Killing a region? I, this is insane. I told you they were getting more powerful, and I know it kind of snuck, snuck up on us there, but whew, that's a bit more than I thought. I know I have teased things hitting the fan. Well, it's happening. And I told you I would tell you this from the people's view and not keep the court drama up. Just be patient. The people are watching. From this event, the eunuchs then became the most powerful force in the dynasty. Bar the emperor himself, though. Yeah, you know, he's still 12. They then once again convinced another emperor, now Emperor Ling, to persecute Confucian students. And the second disaster of the partisan prohibition occurred when eunuchs levied accusations that the students were now not just critical of the government, Oh no, they were now actively fermenting rebellion, which they were not. But alas, 1,000 or so got arrested, many died, and many more were stripped of all their civil rights. By 172, the first dose of what was to come happened. I told you, the people were watching. Because in 172, Empress Dowager Doe who had been kidnapped four years earlier by the eunuchs, died. Against the requests of the eunuchs, Emperor Ling had her buried with full honors. And again, I was not kidding when I said the people were watching. Because after her funeral, a commoner vandalized the palace gate with the following, quote, All that is under the heaven is in upheaval. Kao and Wang, two of the most powerful eunuchs, murdered the Empress Dowager. The key officials only know how to be officials and had nothing faithful to say. End quote. Whoa. 
Obviously, this was a major shot across the bow for the dynasty, and for the eunuchs in particular. And the eunuchs ordered a deep investigation to root this out, find out who wrote this. And while over a thousand people were interrogated, nothing really came of it. Because as the expression goes, if you see one cockroach, you know there are many more you don't see. A lot more. One person might have been caught vandalizing it, or someone at least copped to the charges, but there's a lot more people that agree with what was written. Seizing their moment, though, the eunuchs corrupted the government more, causing taxes to be raised on an already strained populace. Moreover, they had the emperor's brother killed because he stood against them on some phony treason charge. Oh, his wife, kids, and family members were also killed, too, for good measure, obviously. And in 177, the Xianbei tribes took out an entire Han army on the periphery of the territory. The above wasn't a critical invasion or whatnot, but it cost a lot of money. You're getting the theme here. I'm mentioning a lot of money stuff. The next year, in 178, the Empress was falsely accused of witchcraft and died in sorrow. Yeah, the eunuchs just won't stop. They couldn't stop. They've killed his brother. They've killed his Empress. They went out and kidnapped the Empress Dowager, killed her clan, killed a regent. It's bad stuff. But the money thing was becoming the actual problem. Taxes were high and corruption was even higher. So Emperor Ling started selling government posts for a quick buck to pad the quickly draining Han coffers. However, the return on investment for that policy was actually negative, as this only exasperated corruption and thus cost more money for the dynasty in the long run. Sure, you make a quick buck selling a post, but now that post is run inefficiently and corruptly, and everything begins to fall apart and cost you more money. Oh, and the emperor, in a bid to boost infrastructure, which in itself is not the worst thing in the whole world, demanded direct payments from the citizens to build gardens across the dynasty. As I said, sound policy in normal times, but the people simply were under too much taxation, too much exploitation, and too much corruption to have these direct payments go over smoothly. This is the government and the dynasty the people were living in. Now, let's truly step back and see what else these people were negotiating with. While the eunuchs and corruption compounded existing issues, floods in the Yellow River area began to thrash the countryside. Scores of farmers and settlers were forced to move south. However, all that did was create too much labor demand, leading to extremely exploitative labor practices. Because if you won't take this horrible deal I'm giving you, there are literally thousands of other people that will take it because they don't have a choice. You are driven off your farms by floods. The government won't help you much. You are then exploited to no ends, not to mention the thieving officials and corrupt government and increased taxes. What could make this worse? 
Remember that little thing I mentioned earlier? That thing that spreads? Yeah. Because the one thing that could make this worse was plagues. And what hit the Eastern Han wasn't just any ordinary, run-of-the-mill winter flu. This is a plague that also decimated the Roman people. Allegedly. And I will front this all by saying we don't know for sure. The culprit, though, in this plague was most likely Antonine Plague, which is theorized to be most likely smallpox, though it could be measles. We're not exactly 100% sure, but let's just go for smallpox for the sake of the story. This is where history and science can only get us so far. The Roman legion in their version of the Far East, west of Parthia, were the first to get it. We think, in their written history, they get it around 160, 166, 168. About the same time, the Han gets hit with it. Who gave it to who is unknown. And to add more mystery, 3,000-year-old mummies in Egypt appear to have had some form of smallpox. So no one really knows where the disease originated. And no one knows who gave it to who. Did the Roman embassy party give it? Probably not. Or was it just shared along the Silk Road between Parthia and the Han and Parthia to the Romans? Which seems to be very likely given the timing. The fact is, the beleaguered populace of the Han was hit with devastating plague in 171, 173, 179, 182, and 185. This is where things begin to truly turn. But the people began to look around, and they were taking note of this. And they saw that the government corruption was probably the thing that was causing the plagues. It was causing the natural disasters. It was definitely causing the poor agricultural yields. Because this was reflective of the fact that the emperor had lost his mandate of heaven. We haven't spoken much about the mandate of heaven. It didn't seem to be a big deal anymore, did it? It was, in fact, still a big deal. And someone was going to do something about it. And at first, thousands would follow him and his little cabal. Then millions would. Because in 184, after decades of plague, disasters, corruption, taxes, death, and exploitation... A devout Taoist named Zhang Jue would, in fact, do something about it. He was going to make sure that the mandate of heaven was properly restored. Next time, the last chapter of the Han is here, as the Yellow Turban Rebellion will bring the Han Dynasty to its knees. While the Han will technically win, it will be a Puric victory at best. Because there is a reason that Emperor Ling is known as the last powerful emperor of the Han Dynasty. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to putting out the next episode in short order. Please, again, make sure to rate the show five stars, check out the website, and donate if you so feel inclined. I can't thank you guys enough for the incredible performance we've been having over the last couple months, even though episode posting has been sparse. Enough of me, though. Enjoy the rest of your day. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time on the History of China. <laughs>